And we're here for another episode of the Defiant Business Podcast. This is season four, and I'm interviewing Sarah Noel Block of Tiny Marketing, a LinkedIn connection I made, mm, I think maybe almost two years ago now. So this is the third episode in Sarah's interview series. So if you haven't listened to the other two, then you could either listen to this one now and go back or go back now and listen all the way through. Today, we're going to talk about making small marketing budgets go as far as possible with automation. Leveraging automation in your marketing processes can actually help you bring costs down or even make more money. How? Because you aren't spending time on a $25 an hour task when you could be out there making $100 an hour, $150, $200 an hour. So let's go ahead and listen. Okay, so for our third episode in Sarah's interview series, I wanted to talk about something that is definitely within her wheelhouse. Sarah is an expert at making marketing budgets go far, like super far. So Sarah, you're worse, you're used to working with these tiny marketing departments, mm-hmm. and typically what that means is that they do not have the most you know, luxurious marketing budgets. So do you have any secrets or I don't want to say secret, like it's something nobody knows, but just something that's kind of bubbled to the surface over your years of experience for making a marketing budget go further in terms of effectiveness while, you know, watching the dollars. Yes, definitely use a tech stack that integrates and is inexpensive. You can find tools that you can afford within that within your budget that will make everything a lot more smoother and go further. For example, I always recommend that these smaller businesses use Meet Edgar for social media automation. And the reason I'm obsessed with Meet Edgar is because it recycles your posts. And I love that. And it creates the copy for you. You put one post together, and then you click a little button, and it'll create four more posts based from content that's in that link. And then you can set it to recycle, so it goes so much further. You can pull content from RSS feeds, so let's say a publication that has the same audience as you and relevant information, it'll pull from there. Mm -hmm. I love it. And then second would be to use... um, other people's audiences. When you are trying to build out your your list, when you're trying to gain an audience, start um, guest posting in other publications that your audience reads, um, podcast interviews, webinars that you're co-hosting with somebody. Get in front of other people's audiences that share an audience with you so you guys can help each other. And it's free. And <laughs> free. There, there was one thing I think that, um, that I think people undervalue, but that point about tech stacks that integrate, um, it sounds like it's not a big deal at first that if they don't integrate, right? Um, but if you've, you know, once you spend some time, you know, copying, pasting email addresses, for example, uh, you know, data entry, things that are automated in other systems, if you have a tech stack that is not as integrated as it could be, you're wasting a ton of time. And I think uh, for smaller companies and smaller businesses, all they're thinking about is, uh, how much would I have to pay somebody, you know, 
like Sarah to manage my marketing or do this or do that or how much would it, you know, how, what a hassle it's going to be to migrate to a different system, even though it integrates and they're not calculating the value of the time spent on doing things like data entry when it could be done completely automatic, right? Yes. Yes. Like if you use the, just the free HubSpot account, it'll integrate with your Outlook or Gmail and Mm -hmm. any email that you send, it'll create a new contact right in there. You don't have to do anything else. It's, it's so nice and easy. It is. That's a fact. And uh, another great example is Trello. You and I are both Trello fans. And I love how I can, my my Trello boards connect with my Google Drive. So I can just go Mm -hmm. right in there and select documents and everything from Google Drive and pop them, you know, right in there. So I think, yeah, people just underestimate the value of that, that automation piece. But if you track your time, then you can find out exactly how much time and money that you are expending on tasks that just aren't in your area of brilliance. So if you're wondering, okay, should I automate more? Should I work with someone like Sarah? Should I bring on freelancers or anything like that? Track your time and see where you're spending time where you don't need to be spending time and you'll know. Like how much is your time valued at, right? Like if, right, Sarah, like if you can make $200 an hour, just throwing it out there. If you make $200 an hour doing something, but you spend a whole hour doing data entry. Yeah, it's a waste of time. And <laughs> speaking of, I use Trello for managing my virtual assistant, too. So with the Slack integration, so anytime she changes a card, if she needs to comment on something, I'll get an, an alert on Slack. But she knows all of the things that she needs to do for the week. I know her progress on them because she's moving them to doing and done. It's just, I love that project management tool. (laughs) I do, too. I do, too. It integrates with everything. And I think, actually, I remember getting a notification that they purchased Jira. Yes, I saw that. Which is good because I hated Jira. So (laughs) So maybe they'll make it better. (laughs) Maybe. I did not like it. Okay, so... When you're kind of surveilling marketing in general, um, what do you feel is a, a common misstep or mistake that you see marketing departments making? It doesn't have to hold true to size if you wanted mm-hmm. to talk about some of the, the larger companies. I like to use larger company mistakes to illustrate my wow. points, but whatever you, whatever you feel <laughs> is the most common misstep that you've seen. I think the most common misstep is creating something and then leaving it alone. You don't promote it. You don't integrate it with your other items. Like, for example, if you create a blog, you have a business blog. You can't just have a business blog and think that people are going to find it. That doesn't mean that they'll find it. They probably won't. You need to push it out um through promoting on social media. You need to create emails around it. You can create ads around your lead gens. Everything should be multi-channel. You can't just create something and think that it'll attract people. They need to know it exists first. That's a fact. And I mean, I hate, I hate to say it this way, but unless you're like already famous, right? You can't yeah. just, you're not, you're not Gary V, right? You can't just drop things out there and everybody just runs and scrambles to pick it up and and read it and examine it. That's that's not who we are, uh, you know, with our tiny marketing departments. People don't know us. 
No, I think that even if you're someone big like that and you just put it on your website, it would drown with everything else, even if you're big. (laughs) (laughs) There is. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a ton of noise out there. And, I mean, you see it, though, even like so so Neil Patel is probably a really good example. Like he is considered, you know, a SEO giant, but he promotes his stuff on all of his channels. He runs ads. (laughs) <laughs> he is he does do multi-channel for everything including his blogs he is brilliant he does good things he is that the podcast the marketing school yeah <laughs> so uh surprise question a little bit i just i realized i was like we can't talk about making marketing going further without talking about content repurposing mm-hmm so I'm interested to, you know, kind of hear your perspective on it. We've talked about it a little bit. Well, my thing was, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just pay for everything in cash, right? Because I just felt like, listen, if I have it, I can buy it. If I don't have it, I can't. But you know what I mean? Like, because in my mind, that made sense. Right. You know, but when you're doing business, right, when you are actually trying to grow a business and scale a business and you have to think about those types of things. And a lot of times we're not like a lot of times and and it's specific and I'm going to be honest, it's specific to women and specifically to women of color. You know, sometimes it's that, you know, we haven't learned about the process. You know what I mean? It wasn't something that was discussed in our homes as we were growing up. Or we were taught that getting credit cards and stuff were was bad, like having yeah. loans was bad, so you yeah. avoid it. Listen, and listen, and, and my mother would tell me that from the, like, that was my life. And you, you don't want to owe nobody. You better not be out there borrowing no money for nobody. And so all my life, that was what I knew. And so that's what I did. I made a way. But then it was like when my business needed to scale, and that's when we normally see it. When you need to scale, when you need to make major purchases. You know, when I went into manufacturing, I didn't think about the fact that that equipment, that equipment, you know, you're looking at a good ten, fifteen thousand dollars Not what we so, usually have sitting in our back pocket. No, like, no. And I was looking at them like, so what you trying to say, that, that the whole thing is fit? So I can't get a piece of it? Like, I got some of it. You know, do you have a layaway program? Do you have this? Can <laughs> I get it on layaway? You know, if and people don't tell you about it, you know, and then it, they're not... And if they do, they're not telling it to you in a way that's culturally relevant. I'll put it to you like that. Like you can't, like you, I don't understand some, some of the language, some of the lingo. I don't, but what I, when I learned it and I was able to say, no, boo, what's really happening is you need to get that credit together. You see how we got to talk. You got to get that credit together. People understood like, oh, okay. So, so it's me. People are not going to lend to people that they can't trust. Your credit history is basically them saying that I trust, you know, like your, your record of trust. Yes. And it may not even be your fault necessarily because, you know, culturally, you know, sometimes somebody else uses your social security number. I ain't going to say no names, but sometimes, and you have to be willing to address that. We can't keep overlooking some of these things we have to call a spade a spade and and handle it accordingly especially when you're talking about accessing capital 
Absolutely. Okay, so I feel like a lot of people in my audience are going to be really interested to learn more about the pitching aspect, especially because I think Baltimore's pitching, the investing and pitching community is growing. Like the, I see a lot of opportunities come up with pitch competitions, and you wrote the book, so you want to pitch, and people are like, <laughs> yes, I yes, do. Yes, and then I think I especially from the service perspective, because I talk to and know a lot of consultants. And so, yeah, I will say that until I met you and heard your story, I was thinking, well, I'm kind of not in that bucket of people who right. pitch, right? I don't have a product. And so that's why your book is like in my next three to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to know, we're going to link to it in the show notes, but I'd like to know what led you to write the book. And I feel like I already know the answer, but is it relevant now? I wrote the book because I couldn't get money for my business. When I learned about pitching and I won the amount of money that I won pitching, I felt like other people needed to know too. Basically, people weren't telling you that this was an option. And like everybody keeps saying, you need to have an elevator pitch. You know, your 60-second elevator do what you say you were going to do. That's a fact. And, you know, I think as business owners, especially we've, I mean, at least it's been my experience that when I get the most uncomfortable, that is typically when I make the most progress where the leaps really happen from this space of being uncomfortable. So I guess, you know, as an entrepreneur, business owner, you, you just, you just got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you get oh, too comfortable, it's a sign you've slowed down probably. Listen, that's, that's almost like this. You need to make, if you get comfortable, you need to start looking around and asking questions. Like, wait a minute, something ain't right here. It's too much to say. I, I know this. I know this. No, mm-mm, mm-mm. So you got to move. Like, as soon as you get that level of comfort, you know it's time to do something else. That's so true. 